Hi, I'm your host, Sophia Ruan Goucher, creator of the Detox Deep Dive Workbooks, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, A to Z of Detoxing, the ultimate guide to reducing our toxic exposures, and founder of the Detox Academy, an online library of detox resources available to help you eliminate toxic chemicals, heavy metals, and electromagnetic fields from your home, diet, self-care, and technologies. Welcome to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. While sound healing has been practiced for centuries, it is new to many people, including myself. As I work on spending less time on technology though, it helps me to identify a specific activity or a new focus, something to replace my time on the laptop or iPhone. One thing that I've been focusing on is how sounds and vibrations can soothe, activate, and restore. For example, in the mornings, I sometimes use music to activate me for the day, and when I want to center my mind, I'll listen to certain healing frequencies. You can find them on YouTube. Recorded in 2017, this conversation features Elian Zach, the founder of Womb Center in Manhattan. While inside Womb's multi-sensory studio with visual art displayed on the walls around us, Elian and I talk about how sound and vibrational therapy have changed her life. I hope this conversation intrigues you into exploring how sound and vibrational therapy could also enhance yours. If you would like to watch this conversation with the very cool visual art that was displayed, then visit my blog at www.nontoxicliving.tips. To learn more about Womb, visit www.womcenter.com and you can follow Womb on Instagram through the handle at w-o-o-m-c-e-n-t-e-r. All links are available in the podcast show notes. Before we proceed, I'd like to thank my podcast producer, Chris Robertson, for elevating your listening experience. This recording was especially tough to improve because it was recorded in a large empty yoga studio. However, this conversation can hopefully still tempt you to embrace sounds and vibrations into your self-care. Now, here's Elian Zach. I actually have a list of words that I want to ask you what first comes to mind. So we will just dive into that. Dive. Okay, so what comes to mind when you hear the word yoga? Breath. Sound. Life. Sound therapy. My life. <laughs> what do you mean by that? I can easily say that there's a before and after. Before I began experimenting with this practice and after. It literally changed my life, my perspective, my, the way that I approach anything really. Okay, so backtracking a bit, I read that you study breakthrough breathwork. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that is? Because when I first asked you about yoga, you said breath. Mm. So what do you mean by that? It's a good question, Sophia. So the breath is a vehicle or a passageway into the soul. In every tradition, in all ancient languages, the word breath and the word spirit, or the word breath and the word soul, are nearly the same. 
I'm Israeli, so my native tongue is Hebrew. And in Hebrew, the word breath and the word soul are literally, there's just one little letter that differentiates the two. Breath, neshima, and soul, neshama. And they are connected. And it's been known by various cultures for thousands of years that the breath is a vehicle of obtaining or glimpsing into non-ordinary states of consciousness. Yoga deals with the breath both by freeing it, allowing it, receiving it, and releasing it, and also by manipulating it, what we call pranayama, breath exercises. And all of these are various entryways into our experience as human beings. So this is what we see and what we experience, the body, objects, places, other people, is quite subjective. We're constantly tripping on various chemicals in our brains, whether it is sadness or joy, falling in love, getting really angry, all of those are chemical manipulations that happen. And breath has the capacity, it has the potential to allow us to experience other deeper, if you will, uh, aspects of the self. Very much like plant medicine or you know any, any other kind of mind-altering uh, substance. And breath work is a derivative of what is known in the West as holotropic breath work. It's a breathing technique that was created as a format by Dr. Stanislav Grof, who's a psychiatrist. Have you, have you heard of him? I have not. Okay. So he's and I haven't heard of Few people teach that. Uh, they all kind of try to do the same thing, but there are many branches, many approaches. Uh, I studied with Ashley Ludman, who teaches breakthrough breath work, but I've also experienced the work of Dr. Stanislav Grof, and I've read his literature, uh, and I'm very, very much inspired by his work. He created this breathing technique that, that is held for three hours, it's basically circular breathing, kind of rapid, for about two and a half hours. It incorporates, oh, wow. yes, it's really intense. It's breath work, not the breath spa. Uh, and it incorporates recorded audio and evocative playlists that kind of allows one to journey through the breath, through the various blockages within the body, within the mind, within the emotions, and float into non-ordinary state astral uh, journeying and getting in touch with the transpersonal collective unconscious and, and all that good stuff. And Dr. Grok's practice was created uh, after he and his wife were uh, experimenting legally in the United States with LSD and the government shut the research down after it became uh, an illegal substance. And they wanted to still explore consciousness and to map out the psyche. So they came up with this breath. So it's really nothing new. No one can really monopolize breath. But creating a formula, a format that really works, working in partners, having uh, some body work, and also at the end, drawing mandalas uh, to express the personal experience in a non-verbal way. I would imagine there could be many goals for is there this one goal of trying to reach this altered state of consciousness? It's a really good question. There is no goal 
and it's breathing for the sake of breathing. It's like yoga. It's for what? Two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. So much can transpire, right? So it takes that long to alter. Well, no, actually, it can happen within two minutes. But the altered state. So, to give you an example, if you walk in your apartment and suddenly your pinky toe is hit hits the side of your bed, and from a state of complete normalcy, you go into this deep, sharp pain. That's an altered state of consciousness. Yes, mm-hmm. consciousness is now completely transformed. So even in the span of two minutes, within this breath work, things will shift around and change in the body. So the body holds the memory of not only what we've gone through in this lifetime, but memories from the womb, from our uh, experience of growing up. The auditory cortex of the ear is the first sense to develop in utero, and we hear a lot. What have we heard? Memories that are not necessarily conscious memories from childhood. Everything is stored in the body. The body doesn't forget, even when the mind suppresses and represses and moves away from conscious awareness of some incidents in life. Whether they are traumatic or non-traumatic, we don't remember everything that happened since the moment we embarked upon this life. Yet. But the body does not forget. It's kind of like turning on a fan in a dusty old room where we haven't visited all the corners of it for a while, and then all the dust begins to rise up to the surface, and the light of awareness is also there because you know, we're not. Breathing without awareness, so there's also the light of awareness. So suddenly we have light and we have air, and that brings into the surface all these things that might be hitting and hiding in the very corners of our consciousness and of our awareness. This might transpire in our daily lives as pain, physical pain. You know, you, you have some kind of sharp. Pain in your rib cage every once in a while. You don't know what to equate it to. You don't know what to refer this to. And suddenly a memory comes up, and you feel, and you have this connection of the memory with the sensation, and something clicks. In traditional medicine, we see the worsening of the symptom as the worsening of the illness. But in energetic medicine, in yoga, in breathwork, in sound therapy. The worsening of a symptom is actually the beginning of the healing process because when we are not aware of something, we turn on the way to a brain. Exactly, exactly, right? When we're not aware of something, we can't start letting it go. We can't start the healing process. But when it comes to our conscious awareness, we can begin to move through it. It's not only about you know seeing, having a powwow with the spirit guides and. You know all the all the good stuff. It's also kind of muddling through the darkness, and not only higher states of consciousness, but also really getting in touch with everything that is very much earthly of this planet, of this life, that hasn't had the opportunity to be fully processed and, and digested. Interesting. It's an opportunity. You know, we keep moving forward in life, starting from conception. And this is an opportunity to to go back and revisit with a more mature perspective and hopefully more tenderness and compassion. Mm-hmm. Of course, as you go through life, it's not always good. You know, like a 
I mean, it's in the playground in kindergarten, and through the go back, you, you could, I could see like there's stress and tension, and maybe some fear that stays with you whenever I don't know anything reminds you of that encounter. To be able to just go back, revisit it, work through it, and that doesn't have power. We really, we are the experts on uh, ourselves, so. It's really a form of therapy that we begin to become not only the mature adult in this relationship between us and ourselves, not only our mother and our father reparenting, becoming our own best caretaker, but also embodying the curiosity and the excitement of a child, uh, knowing that we are safe in the, in the confines of our house that embodies our, our spirit, that body, knowing that anything that might transpire is there for a reason. There's no, it's not a magic pill that we take and we don't know what's happening. It's breath that moves through emotion, mental blockages, and, and allows us to transcend. And it really requires the curiosity and unconditional courage that the child has, that our inner child still has in the, the desire to, to be well, and to be happy, and to feel just happy for no reason for the little things. How did you grow to become so passionate about sound therapy and vibrations? I wasn't so passionate about sound therapy, I just, it started with curiosity. When my curiosity about sound began, it was in the context of Party. <laughs> Honestly, we go to parties or concerts and we're enveloped by sound, by music. And the body begins to respond without us wanting it to respond. When we hear a beat, we can't help but respond to it physically. I was wondering what and how does this benefit us if we are in a room with a bunch of people dancing? Why can we do this? There's no reason, but yet there's so much pleasure. There's no end goal, but there's so much communion in the dancing. In, uh, and sinking. And sinking with other people. Yeah. Uh, it's entrainment. We are entrained by music, by drumming, by beat. And I really wanted to explore this idea of not only having the sound enveloping, if you go to a very good club that, that was very well invested in the sound system, then you'll feel the music differently than just you know a couple of speakers in the end of the room. You'll feel the difference. Instead of dance, we'll practice an ancient science in yoga and move around like that as vibration of music begins to arrive at our bodies and at our minds. And at evoking emotions and, and all of that good stuff. And I wanted to know if this was a thing. Who should I consult with about this? Is it a neuroscientist? Is it a, an orthopedic surgeon? Or do I want to know what's happening to the muscular, skeletal, nervous system? What's happening to the brain? Is it, is it a brain surgeon? And is it even a thing? Is it, you know, who do I talk to about this? I became obsessed. <laughs> and I started sharing this with my friends. So I'm obsessed with this now. <laughs> um, and then one of my friends told me, oh, good, I know just the person for you. 
and she referred me to who then began, became my teacher, uh, along with my husband, who's my partner, David, Alexander Tanous, who's an ethnomusicologist, sound researcher, and sound facilitator, sound meditation facilitator. I went to a sound meditation with him shortly after that introduction, uh, in which I was blindfolded on a Brooklyn warehouse floor with a hundred other people. Because it was a non-ordinary experience, it's very difficult to put it into words. It was mystical. It was a mystical experience that I had via a deep listening. And this deep listening enhanced because Alexander, the way he facilitates, and now the way we facilitate sound therapy, is not sound bath. It's not laying down and just letting sounds wash over you as I take a nap. It's a deep listening experience. And within the sound, we seek, I seek insight into myself and from myself into the universe. So not only was it a visceral experience, very deeply, the gong, hearing the gong for the very first time, allowing the modes of various chimes affect my emotions and kind of play me as if I've never heard anything before. And also hearing my own self, using my own voice for the very first time in a way that allowed me to hear so clearly and create with no end goal and play and ponder and contemplate with my own voice in a way that I've never ever done before. And I've used my voice that I was a child actor and singer and I've never felt my voice being so open, so effortless and so playful, so deep, so fearless ever before that experience. It was an opening, it was a gate that opened, and it began. It became my life's work. After that experience, my husband, Bobby, came to pick me up, and he said, so? And I said, well, I don't know about me, but I have a feeling you'll be doing that for the rest of your life. Now we have a, a little uh, nickname for him, Gong Daddy. <laughs> so he became Gong Daddy. <laughs> And yeah, he's taken his studies very, very deeply. He's very immersed in it, and I'm very immersed in it. Each of us in our own way of approaching it. So I don't know anything really about moms. I've seen it in some Chinese restaurants. Mm -hmm. and have, you experienced, have you experienced them before? So I came to your studio soon after it opened, and I remember I came to more than one class. And my first experience with the gong was in that class. But I didn't understand what was going to happen, and I didn't know anything about it. I was lying down. My husband was with me, and we were lying down at the end of class. And the gong was so, the vibrations were so strong. And our, the soles of our feet were facing this way. And I could feel the vibrations move through the soles of my feet, up through my body. But I have no idea what ancient thoughts are on the uses and benefits of gongs and the different sizes. So I'm sure, just like with the um, bowls, the bowls, you know, there are different pitches. So can you give like a brief, and very brief? Yeah. So the gong is a metal instrument, and the various di diameter gives. Uh, to difference in amplitude, so volume, 
and surface area that it can cover. So in a small container, you wouldn't want to have a huge gong. And in a huge container, you wouldn't want to have a very tiny gong. Sound is comprised of fundamental note and overtones. So everything in nature emits sound from the things that we cannot hear. There's a hearing range for a human being. Uh, and we can't hear below it, and we can't hear above our hearing range. Below our hearing range is infrasound, and above our hearing range is ultrasound. But everything emits overtones. Overtones are tiny frequencies that are layered upon a fundamental frequency. So even the sound of my voice, what makes the sound of my voice different to the sound of your voice, it's a different cocktail of overtones. And overtones are basically mathematical ratios made audible, made physical. So it's mathematics that we can listen to. And, and the gong makes the gong very special to all the other overtone emitting instruments such as bowls, uh, chimes, tuning forks, and the rest, is that it emits a ton of overtones. It's very, very overtone rich. So between 50 and 100, maybe even more overtones. So in the listening experience, we can really sink into, there's various ways, various techniques to play the gong, to bring out of the gong various tastes and flavors. So we can really have a full journey just with the gong. It's very important not to label any of the portion of the experiences dark or scary, but let every moment experiencing the instrument be kind of like the instrument is an ally in this overall overarching quest. And for me, this overarching quest is to know myself better, to love myself deeper, and to release what needs to be released and welcome what I would like to welcome in. And to do that while listening. Now, let's talk about the mind for a brief moment. So mind and consciousness, not the same thing. Thought is a part of consciousness, but consciousness doesn't need thought in order to exist. It's being, it's that which is. So as we lay down or sit up in the sound meditation, we mute. Suddenly, thoughts begin to creep in about the email that was not sent, about a conversation had maybe that ended on a bad note, about anything, maybe pants don't really feel good out of my skin right now. The mundane begins to creep into the ordain. And sound, as an external stimulation, can be something to allow us to reroute. So I notice my thoughts because it's primarily a practice of awareness. I notice my thought, I smile at it, I'm kind to it, and I kindly move back to the sound. So during the experience of sound meditation, there's external stimulation that allows us to constantly repattern, reboot, and regroup, moving outside of our habitual patterns of thought and letting the monkey mind take a rest for a little while. You know anything about Vedic meditation, it's the meditation of mantra, or transcendental meditation. You receive a mantra, which is a normally a one-syllable sound word, 
the idea is to repeat it constantly inside the mind. So those work very similarly. I imagine you have more benefits if you chant the mantra. Not necessarily. Not, not necessarily. So the vibrations don't give you added. They do. But so there's chanting. In chanting, there's a lot of specificity when we chant. If we're talking about Sanskrit chanting, yes. So the idea is to chant it in a specific way, in specific syllables, specific vowel sounds, in a specific formula. There's a formula to it, and that is the chant. If we change the formula around, it's no longer true to the chant. It becomes this beautiful other kind of experience, which we have with a lot of artists nowadays use Sanskrit mantra and make it a little more pop. I have no problem with it, but it's good to make a difference between this experience of communion with sound and, and this very specific way of chanting Sanskrit mantra. And it has a lot to do with the way we pronounce the places of the tongue inside the mouth. It's a very specific sound. So when we chant inside our minds, it's not really chanting, it's more repetition of a mantra of that word, that one syllable word, on and on and on, until it begins to become just sound and it loses some of its very specific form. And that fills our minds and takes away from the monkey mind going crazy. I have been reading this week about the vibrations in the universe, that sun, planets, everything in the universe gives off the vibration. I've been wondering how long that frequencies and vibrations. Oh yeah, so like there are always vibrations. And like isn't everything just like a manifestation of energy, whether it's like visible light or sound or temperature. I'm just wondering how chanting and vibrations and sounds and becoming more in sync with these different frequencies, how that might alter us. Mm -hmm. I have no thoughts on it. I don't know if you do, but I just think I'm wondering more about it. You have this collective human experience, and you also have the individual personal experience. And we're really all in this together, but we're all individually in this together. Sometimes we merge, and sometimes we quite separate. And the true effects on daily life is what's really truly interesting. At the grand scheme of things, how does it change my experience of being alive, my relationships, my relationship to the self? And it's almost not measurable, but it is measurable. I find that when I engage with any of this kind of, even if it's five minutes of chanting, owning, humming to myself, being in the presence of the gong for an hour, chanting Hare Krishna for half an hour uh, in community, I step out into the world and something shifts. And there's black, there's white, and there's a whole bunch of green in between. And we live mostly in these graves, and our experiences are normally not so extreme in daily life. Sometimes they are. But noticing the, the, the shade in which we view reality after having the experience, noticing experience after experience. I noticed recently after I, I experienced the meditation here, I, I was receiving it, not giving it. I went into uh, a birthday party with a friend, 
shortly after. And something about me was aligned, and it was unmistakable. My conversations with people felt a certain way. They felt aligned. Something felt very complete. I felt very content. I felt at ease with the social circumstance. Not that I have social anxiety, but sometimes, sometimes we get moments of awkwardness and it's misalignment, these moments in which the mind plays tricks and we are unable to escape the cage of our own mind. And I was able to navigate, there was this flow state, and I attribute this flow state to the practice. Here's the thing about practice. It's not a one-time, one-off experience. We need to constantly revisit. One yoga class is not going to change your life, but a consistent one-year yoga practice is going to change your life, no doubt. My last question is, for you to finish this practice, I wish more people knew how magical they are. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Podcast show notes can be found at my website at nontoxicliving.tips. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. And if you'd like to support it, then please like it and share it. Until next time.